And we're back. All right. I just came across a troubling statistic, all right, but I have every reason to believe that it is absolutely true, at least in America. Dave Ramsey, no matter what you think of him, whatever, is a financial guru, you know, has a pretty good following and all that, you know, celebrity in that field. And uh, he would know about stuff like this, but he's saying that 50% of parents are paying for their adult children's bills whenever they come up short every month. So I'm just getting this mental picture of 20 to 30 year olds who spent too much money on Starbucks or maybe had to call out sick or something like that from their job and they're just, you know, they run it up a little short. Well, mom and dad will pay for that cell phone. Mom and dad will pay for that rent. Mom and dad will make that car payment. Gut feel is that's probably correct. Yeah. I just see like this premonition here of 20, 30 years down the line of just these kids that are adults that really don't know how to be anything other than kids when it comes to their finances and money. They're not going to have any assets by the time they need to retire. (laughs) A lot of people don't. My brother does, you know, financial planning. So people come to him ready to retire or trying to figure out how they are going to retire. And so many times the picture is just not good. They think they're going to retire in two years and there just ain't any way, especially the way they want to retire. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people say they want to travel. It's like, yeah, yeah. Wait till you, wait till you cross that bridge. See how much airline tickets are in 30 years. Some people do travel a lot. You yeah. know, I've got some family members that are able to do that anyway, but so many times like the house isn't paid off, things of that nature. I mean, that's a biggie. You, you got to yeah. get your house paid off. Of course, people a lot of times have it paid or close to paid and they take a equity loan for whatever reason they they make up the excuse that they need the equity loan they take it and more times than not that's a mistake there's obviously going to be some situation where okay we've got to do it but a lot of people well, use it for the wrong. Let me put it this way: my parents did this with their house uh, in the nineties, that just to make, just to pay for maintenance on the house, a new roof, okay. uh, I think a new like air conditioning unit. These are things that you need to uh, pay for on your own without least, selling your equity. At least they dumped it back into the house. Yeah, it was an emergency type situation. It just made me think, you know, if you just went ahead and paid off the house on the original loan how much more money you would have 20 years later and whatever money you got out of doing that, you would have more than enough after paying off the house and not having a mortgage every month. People don't realize without monthly bills like that, you your money goes a hell of a lot further. You make a, $15 an hour isn't all that bad when you don't have a mortgage or a car payment and you own your house and car. Not saying that that's what you should strive for. I'm just saying you can make it work fairly easily. I'll stay out of that conversation. I'll bring up something else. (laughs) Estate planning is a big thing. So I've got some assets. I'm getting up in age. I'm going to die. I want to get that stuff to my relatives, right? Yeah. There's ways to do it with less tax burden compared to another method. You know, so like you, you need to plan that stuff out. If it's a life insurance that carries, you know, the death benefit, it's not taxed, to my knowledge, when the no. person re- receives it. So sometimes it is better to start putting some of your savings to buy a, a life policy that does that, etc. Um, there's ways to get your house passed down without a tax burden. And there's more than one way to do it, but there's ways to do it. And then do you need long-term care? Maybe. 
if if you wind up needing to go into a nursing home and you know a long term situation, that's going to eat through almost anyone's finances. I was about to say the way health costs are rising, I don't think there's any. I mean, depending on what you're suffering from, there's really no 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 solution out of that. Right. You know? So before before Medicaid kicks in and starts to cover those expenses, you got to be out of assets. You got to be down to like your last two thousand dollars. So that includes your house and everything. Basically, you just piss away your house because you weren't prepared. The way around it is to have long-term care insurance. So let's say you have a coverage of $150,000, right? Mm -hmm. Well, once that policy pays out, there's a rule that lets you also keep 150,000 in assets. So you can still hold 150k in cash and then Medicaid still kicks in and pays for your care. That type of thing. Everybody's situation's different. That's just I've said 150. I mean that's a lot of times not enough. You may you may want a bigger policy. It yeah. all depends, but just know that it's worth looking into because back to your point, parents paying the kids bill, okay? Yeah. It's already not super great. <laughs> If you're not careful and you let it be worse. I, cell phones. That's well, one thing I noticed that parents seem to like, you know, when the kid's growing up living in the house, maybe in high school or something, they're on the family plan. And that just <laughs> makes things cheaper, more convenient. But it's always the parents that seem to pay for the family plan. And why would a kid get his own plan and, and make his monthly bills higher if he doesn't have to? He just stays on the family plan. all Indefinitely. Through, yeah, until... The parents decide to either kick them off, which they never, 50% don't seem to do. <laughs> if they can afford it, it's not the end of the world to me. It's The the problem is when the kid has a car payment and the parents are floating that. Oh, yeah. Car. Well, it's the same difference. It really is. And the parents are like, well, he needs a car or else you know, he won't be able to make any money. It's like, yeah, the money he's making right now ain't, do, ain't paying for the car. So how is this sustainable again? Because I missed that point. So as an interesting point my parents were kind of resistant to cell phones and so i had a plan before they did i went out got signed up had enough credit or whatever to get a line for myself and then when they started to want one they got added onto my plan that's hilarious well what was their thing with cell phones i'm just curious eh, it was the same way with internet in the house they never had aol to my knowledge most households did so in other words you didn't have the internet until after 2000 no (laughs) i bought it Somehow. Oh, wow. And I probably was not 18. A matter of fact, for a while, I split it with Hamwater with his parents. I paid like half their bill and they gave me a login. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. One way or another, I had to get it, but my parents weren't going to pay for it. Um, But then the (laughs) same thing with cell phones. They were like, "Mm, won't ever need one. And then when they did, it went to my name. So we actually tried to get that transferred back to them. And Verizon gave us so much trouble. Their customer service, in my view, is not great. you got to be patient. That's the key. And I I would be naive in thinking it's just Verizon, but it seems like when you're dealing with cell phone plans, especially changing plan holder or whatever. We were beyond the contract. That was the thing. And even to kind of cancel it and start a new one, there was just so many issues. All I know is hours of phone calls, ultimately, it's still in my name. I swapped over to Straight Talk, but they, they're still on Verizon, and yeah. the bill comes to their house with my name on it, and they just pay it that way. I mean, if that's the easiest way to do it. It probably looks good way. on me for 
I, yeah, I was about to say, it all goes towards your credit. It's not a bad thing for me, as long as they're paying it, and they are. They just better pay it, okay? You don't. <laughs> you shouldn't have to bail out your parents, too, just like parents shouldn't have to bail out their adult kids. I'd bail them out a little bit, but probably <laughs> I would never need to, truth be told. I'm blessed in that way. You know, I see a lot of times people have to support their parents in a, in a big way. Well, I'd like to think that's because of something unforeseen, not because they're just bad with money. Because that's one thing I notice: that people who are bad with money, especially at that age, parental age or whatever, they're probably going to be bad with money their entire life. I don't see too many people changing drastically in the middle or towards the latter half of their life. Like when it comes to money, it seems they just get set in their ways and they just come to terms with the fact that I'll never be rich. There's just no way. Yeah, well, they, and they maybe they won't. Well, certainly not with that attitude. <laughs> you know, it's not like being rich is like, uh, I mean, yeah, you can win a lottery. There's so many, <laughs> sure. There's so many things that can happen to you, though. Life's not fair, as the statement goes, and that's true. Fuck life. You better be fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People get promotions, and the next guy who's a really great worker just kind of slips through the cracks at the same company. There's something that factors in other than just the things that you could control. Someone may dislike you more. Their personality may fit a little better with you, and so they, that you're more agreeable. They give you the promotion, and the next person may be just as qualified and just as likable, but not to the one person it matters to. Yeah, that's it's same as politics, man. Very rarely does the most qualified get in. How ironic. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm not, and I'm not saying uh, Republican, Democrat. I'm just saying the people that you generally have to choose from when it comes to that high up of government officiating, you're very rarely going to get the, the real candidates. You're going to get the people that rose to the top through any means necessary because that's obviously what it took. That's become more apparent. I used to not even be into politics at all. You can't hardly avoid it now. Not completely. It's going to find you. And it's like when I buy something that says something about your personal politics now. It's like, no, sometimes I just want a chicken sandwich. And if you want a crappy beer, yeah, drink Bud Light. It's still crappy, all right? I don't see why people are so up in arms. Oh, I can't drink Bud Light anymore. Well, you shouldn't in the first place. You like beer, right? That's like, why don't you drink good beer? I can't relate. I don't like beer. Oh, I'm just saying. A lot of people. (laughs) But you love that iced coffee. Yeah. That's only the second iced coffee I've ever had from McDonald's. The first one I got was undrinkable. It was really nasty. But this one's actually pretty good. All right. It seemed like we had some minor professionals there behind the uh, counter. I was pretty confident. My coffee was very hot, very fresh, and did not taste like that ass of coffee I had a couple weeks ago. I literally had one swallow of it, threw it out. I very rarely do that with anything I purchase, but that was just beyond bad. Couldn't do it. I couldn't. Your life is temporarily in the hands of that McDonald's worker. Yeah. Same thing goes for Taco Bell. <laughs> or anywhere. Here's a little friendly advice, a little, little life hack. Don't piss off the people that make your food. Even if they screw up, even if they deserve it sometimes, it's not worth the fight because you're about to ingest what they're touching and making for you. Think about that. Even Chick-fil-A is not always consistent. You get you can go and get really good fries, or you can go and get some that really weren't cooked right, soggy or whatever, wrong type of salt, wrong t- that just don't taste good. They, the holding time. No one abides by the goddamn holding time. It's supposed to be five minutes. <laughs> five minutes from fryer to your mouth. Well, and that's never the hardly the case, unless it's a rush hour. They don't always get cooked. Oh, like undercooked? Yeah, people just yank them out. The, the, you know, it's got a little beep or something. Yeah, that tells it's got you a timer. When, yeah. 
and the timer heats up the heating elements, which it should. As long as they keep it in the oil the, the entire time, it should be all right. But I, I get what you're saying. Right, some it should be. It's just sometimes it's not. But regardless of what you get from them, at least you know that when they made it, it was with their pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> no sauce required. The tea's no good today. Yep, but the person that made it made it with their pleasure. Okay, along the lines of what Todd and I were discussing, I thought it might be good to hear from our resident personal financial (laughs) representative. So, to be clear, he is not giving anyone advice. And a lot of that is because everyone's situation is a bit different. It does require a specialized look. And that's right, lawyers. Take that. Take that, lawyers. Clear. Yes, so not even general advice, only general discussion. There you go. Talking about the overarching financial situation in America, I see a big problem on the horizon. There are several things that are coming down the lines, but one of the big problems is the youngest generation, say Generation Z or even into the millennials, they're very behind on a financial scale because of really school costs. Compared to to a previous generation. Right. So they've got school debt and they're trying to pay that down. And then in the last you know, 10 years, especially the last five years, the cost of housing has just gone haywire. But the other thing that they should be doing is buying a house and going ahead and getting started on that when they're, say, 25, 26, 27. And that way, if it's a 30-year loan, then they can be finished paying for it, 57, etc. Hit the mic. Mm-hmm. Let me throw one thing in that you brought up. Cost of school. I always thought that was crazy when the FAFSA and things came out and it was going to be a subsidy, but it had no rain, it had no bearing on the price. So they said, hey, you may qualify for $1,000. You may qualify for an extra 700 through the state lottery or something. But there was no check or balance for the school to say, you know, we're going to pay for these people's semesters, so don't raise the price. And they just raised the price by 1700 And yeah. I knew that was going to happen. As a young person, I could tell that would happen. And look at what happened. Look, it it's did. a good example of a government program that was intended to do something good that didn't work correctly, which is pretty typical. Um, in this case, they were trying to help people get loans that otherwise wouldn't be able to. They didn't have credit history or whatever. And so they said, hey, we'll lend you the money pretty much for anything. And, of course, once the schools figured that out, oh, we have basically the ability to raise the price. Right, customers who can always meet whatever price we put out there. And so schools started to raise their price by an average of about 6% per year for about a 10 to 12 year period, therefore doubling, literally doubling the cost of school during that time. It already wasn't cheap. The schools were handed a ripe orange and they squeezed it. Can I blame them? Yes, I can. Sure. It's not as much greed as the healthcare system, but it is still... Yeah, I, was, I was hoping I could make another fruit pun out of that, but nothing came to mind quickly enough. So, so where was I going? So, okay. So you've got this whole generation of people who... And, and I've talked to people in my job who are young people who would like to buy homes. And let's say they've already saved up some significant amount of money even. They're fairly responsible. They're working a job. And they've got you know thirty or $40,000 to put down on a house which is pretty good for a 27, 28-year-old to have. And yet, they haven't been able to get one because people come in, in our area, they come in from out of state, 
and they can make a full cash offer that's twenty-five dollars to $30,000 more than the asking price on the house, and this kid can't get a house. Well, on its face, a young person of average means cannot afford a house. A young person of greater than average means can. But <clears throat> I'm just saying, if you're, if you're in the majority, if you're in the, the boat that most people are in, you've got a little bit of a hard situation going on, and it's a valid complaint that that people in that age group bring up from time to time. It is valid, yeah. There are valid criticisms of the younger generation. They often want to change the world and all this stuff, but they often really don't want to put in the hard work that it takes to change just their local situation. But on this topic, they are legitimately behind. And I wonder how it can be fixed. I do think housing prices are going to come down because interest rates will continue to go up and people just aren't going to be able to borrow the money required to buy houses. And so a lot of houses will sit unsold. But we have to go through that whole phase. It has to happen. It has to get to that point. People have to sit on houses for a couple of years that they can't sell. Yeah, once they're doing that, the price is dropping for sure. Right. They're going to keep raising interest rates until we get to that kind of a situation. But it it has to happen or else the whole economy is going to have a major, major problem. So what can someone do to navigate that? How can they be a little bit more prepared, potentially? Well, a young person, one thing that they can do, even if they can't get the house, they need to start a Roth IRA because if you're young, and let's just say you're putting $200 a month aside, okay? Well, you can do that throughout your working career and retire a millionaire given normal market returns over the decades. So at the end of the time, you've put in maybe $200,000 and you got a million. And that's if it's a Roth, that's tax-free. A lot of people know that a Roth is tax-free when you finally start to draw the money out. But a lot of people don't know why that is as important as I believe it to be, which is that we don't know what the tax rate is going to be 30 years from now. We don't know. I mean, there may be a 60% tax rate on your income. Well, so that's very possible because look at what the government does. They're in debt and it's now increasing by trillions. Oh, we're going to add another trillion. It sounds like a million or a billion, but it's way, 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 way more. Crazy more. And they won't, they are going to look for a way to pay for it. And it's always unfortunate to me because the government already makes enough money in my humble opinion. They bring in enough and it's a spending problem, but government grows and they spend more. Well, so we don't know what the tax rates are going to be or the tax code will be. If you have a way to start a nest egg that you can eventually draw from that won't be, you know, that will be excluded from that tax rate. That's a really good thing because today it's one thing. But what if we have a 60% tax rate? You could. And here's a big reason why we very well may, because Social Security, okay, probably half of the people out there that are retired are almost completely reliant upon Social Security for their only form of income. If you look at your Social Security statement today, you go to ssa.gov, Social Security Administration, ssa.gov. They don't mail your statement to your house anymore. You have to go online, look it up. But if you do and you read it, there's a section that says, will Social Security be there when I retire in big letters? Then under it in big letters, it says yes. Then in small letters, it says that in about 12 years, they're going to have to start reducing the payout to about 80% of what you would be owed. 
because there's not enough money in it. What that tells me is that they're willing to compromise (laughs) and that may change to 60%. That may change. Who knows? Well, what it's going to mean is higher taxes because they're going to want to get it paid for. That's a big reason to have a Roth because you want something that can't be taxed. By the way, this is an aside. If you need money before retirement age, you can grow it tax deferred inside a life insurance policy. There's universal life insurance. You can overfund it. It can grow in a lot of ways from fixed interest to indexed accounts to variable accounts. So it's still like a savings account in that you can draw from it without a penalty. Yeah. So if If it's the right product. If it's right. So life insurance policies, this is something that the guys who talk about this don't tell you. They do have surrender charges on them. So if you get rid of the whole thing in the first 10, 15, or 20 years, depending on the product, then they're going to keep a percentage of that money. So you don't really want to you don't really want to cancel the whole policy. What you want to do is build it up and then draw money out of it over time because the cool thing about life insurance withdrawals are you get to withdraw your principal first, not your gain. So you're still not being taxed as long as you're taking out the original money that you were building the interest off of. My kind of obvious question at this point is, what's the drawback of maybe saving your money for a down payment on your house in a life insurance product? Well, if it's a first house, you can save it inside an IRA and you can use it for that purpose without being penalized by the IRS. Um As far as a life insurance policy, that's probably a good way to do it because you're going to want to have the policy anyway when you take the loan because at that point, you're going to owe a lot of money. And if you die, somebody's going to have to pay for that house. So they need to have the money to pay the house off when you die and not have to keep making the payment so the bank doesn't get it. So you're going to to want that anyhow. And so it's a good thing to already save up in because you're going to buy the policy young. It's going to be as cheap as it'll ever be for you. Go ahead and save money inside that. Yeah, it's not bad. Well, maybe I should present it this way. What type of financial product might a young person put their money in knowing that they will be pulling it out for a down payment on a house? In other words, that's their goal. You know, they're not trying. It's a lot of times you just keep it in savings in case I need it for a car repair or whatever. But let's say this one thing is earmarked. This is going to be for my home. What do they? What could they do? Well, other, other than just stacking it up in a savings account. Yeah, the good thing about savings accounts, obviously, is that it stays totally liquid. You can get to the money. You can go to the bank today and get it out. Um, the bad thing is you don't get a whole lot of interest on it, and it's taxable if you make more than $10 in a year. So... You know, you're trying to save big money, you're probably going to want to make more than 10 bucks. So that kind of takes the savings account as just, you know, not that great. Probably the best method, if it's your first house, is to do the Roth IRA. The downside to that is that it does cap you per year. You got a $6,500 maximum limit per year that you can put in it. Basically, under normal circumstances, you have to wait until you're like 59 and a half to draw from a Roth without penalty. That's right. But you're telling me there's a provision for first-time home buyers where they can pull it early without a penalty yeah. for that one thing. For that, exactly. That's correct. Uh, again, they can't put more than $6,500 a year in it. Yeah, well, that's a good bit per year. I mean, as we were mentioning, you need a huge down payment sometimes. Yeah, it is a good bit, but right, if you need fifty or $60,000. Yeah, even to get your payment down to workable. I mean, for well, me, that kind of stunk. I thought, you know, I'd like to get my... When I buy a house, I don't want that mortgage payment to be such a burden every time it hit. I'd like to at least put enough down that my payment's like $500, and the truth was, it just couldn't happen. Well, so I had to work with what I could. You know, lenders, a lot of times for a house, want you to have 
have eight to ten percent down. So when a house used to cost one hundred twenty thousand dollars, well, if you had you know ten thousand dollars, you could you could do it. Now you do need like thirty thousand dollars just to just, to barely get in. Just to barely get in. Yeah, it's crazy because I put about yeah. thirty down on my first house, and that gave I feel me like a, you're doing good. <laughs> about a premium loan rate percentage it, it helped because it was a, a product that that one bank had that hey if you're super qualified you know what we'll go even lower than the market rates on your apr and they did and like you say now you're barely scraping to get in with that to go back to your question about how to save money for a house you've always got cds as an option you know a cd certificate of deposit with a bank it's going to give you a better return and you can just have it for like a one-year period or three years or you know five years something like that could be half a year but you're not going to get a big return on it yeah the tough thing is getting the penalty for pulling that that's the crazy thing about a house you You don't know what the market's going to do and timing becomes an issue where when you finally can make that offer you hate to be mid cd term right kind of need it right away yeah it's hard to time it it's like breaking a lease to get into a house and stuff all that's hard to time yeah well this is a big challenge i mean it truly is a challenge for like i'll say millennials to get a house i had someone take over a lease and you know they had to get qualified for that and everything when i bought my house the only reason they took it over was because well the rates at the apartment had gone up so it made sense for them to take over someone else's lease and that's how that went the bad thing is since they can't buy something that they're renting and the rent they're paying eleven and twelve hundred dollars a month to rent someplace. Rent at least rivals the cost of a house. If overall yeah, cost, you might not. I mean, you might find rent for six or seven hundred dollars somewhere. Maybe it's not going to usually be a great option. Yeah, but you might have to rent a room and things. And God, does that that creates some drama here and there? Unless sure. you get lucky. Yes. So you know you're you're doing that, and that's going to prevent you from being able to save for that down payment that you need to save. So in reality, it used to be people got a bad. Um, it was looked down upon, and it generally is still looked down upon, especially by the the baby boom generation of people going back home after college. And you know, you, oh, you're you know you're 22, 23, 24. You should be on your own working. Well, you about have to take a few years back home to be in a job and try to bank that money before you even have a shot at getting out. And the timing is crucial. You yeah. can't just. I don't want to cuss, but you can't just. Uh, or you could marry well, I guess. You can't just piss that time away. You got to strike while the iron's hot, or at least while you even have an iron. You got to you when you move in with your parents under those circumstances. In order to save money, got to take it seriously enough to actually do it. You should have a plan there. That's very true. So if you're going to go back and live with your parents, if you don't want to have that scenario be your indefinite life, which of course you don't, you're going to have to make a plan on how to yeah how to save the money to to be able to get your own place. Okay, let me take a quick break. Okay. So that kind of jumps us to what Todd was talking about, where, okay, you didn't get the house. You are still living with mom and dad, or maybe you have an apartment and mom and dad are paying that rent. Yeah, I wonder what that statistic means, because if it is just like there's a one-time event, either a divorce happened or the pandemic made you have to have less business or something weird like that. And your parents gave you like a one-time assistance. Or is it more of a statistic where people are truly just being propped up? Yeah. It's an ongoing all the time thing because I can understand having a weird life, 
threw a big curveball that wasn't, you know, usual. But mm-hmm. Well, I mean, maybe in your line of work, you see, obviously, occasionally someone's retirement goal. And as they approach it, what are some of the roadblocks they're hitting? So, okay, yeah. Todd was right about, or you maybe, you want to have the house paid off for sure. Yeah, so just I, don't borrow against it. And I tell you why. I've seen so many people that have borrowed against it, and it's a problem later. You back yourself into a corner where you have no other recourse. I see people who will be getting close to retirement. You know, hey, they're up 60 years old, and they just moved and bought a different house and got a 30-year loan. So what, are you going to pay that to your 90? You're not going to live that long, probably. So that house is never going to get paid for. That's a problem because then they're all going to whine, I'm on a fixed income now. Of course you are because you're no longer working. So, yeah, you have to meter your money however that happens. And then when inflation occurs, which you think it's not going to occur in the next 30 years ever, any, it's going to. So you've got a house payment that has to eat a certain amount of that income all the time. And you've got no margin left to adjust your life for inflation or for health problems, which also newsflash will happen more often the older we get. It's just that monkey on your back. That's a big payment, that house payment. Get it paid off and don't mess with it. Don't borrow against it and all of a sudden you have a house payment again just because it's convenient. Yeah. Find that money somewhere else or maybe do without that thing you want. Well, if wanted. you move when you're older, you need to be downsizing because you no longer have kids and so forth. Therefore, you should sell your house for $300,000 and go buy a $250,000 house and have that $50,000 left to save. Yeah, for whatever it needs <laughs> right. to be. Right. That ought to be the scenario, not I'm borrowing more money going into my retirement years. That's not smart. You want to have a house paid off. That's that's for certain. So that's one thing. Another piece of it is the lack of preparedness for long-term care, which I also talked about. That is a huge cost that people seem to just ignore as if it will never happen until they're taking care of a parent who didn't plan for it and now they're paying for it because they don't want to put mom in the worst facility in the state, of course. And yet, if they don't want to do that, they have to privately pay for it. Most people think Medicare pays for everything. Medicare doesn't pay for day-to-day care. It only pays for medical stuff. So it's going to pay for like treatment in a hospital. But if you just need assistance because you're old and you have to have help getting out of bed or getting dressed or making food or just normal life stuff, it's not going to pay for that. That's on you. you got to figure out a way to do it. The cool thing about having a long-term care insurance plan, you have all options in front of you. It can pay for in-home care, which can be professional or not. Or it can pay for assisted living or it can pay for a nursing home. It can pay for any of the above. And so you'll get a lifetime limit and you'll get a monthly limit or a daily limit, however the policy works it. And you can you don't have to draw the full limit. You can just draw what you need well, and it pays for whatever care you need. The reason it's part of this conversation is as a, a young person that's trying to get their financial ship in order, that's probably not the first order of business to say, well, let me look at long-term care. I'm 25 years old. (laughs) But what what we don't want to happen is their parents' lack of preparedness all of a sudden comes in and dive bomb, blows up the kids' finances. And so it factors in because it's all a cycle. Really, it isn't. Right. You you can't put that burden on someone else. Yeah, you've got a 60, 65-year-old parent. You need to talk to them about if they have a plan for long-term care because they need to take a look at it. And you don't need to wait until you're 70 or 75 because you 
probably won't get the policy. The underwriting is very difficult on it. And if you've had cortisone shots and knee replacements and stuff, anything dealing with your mobility. Harder to get approved. That, if yeah, not impossible to get approved. Right. They're very worried about giving you that policy because they think you're going to become immobilized somehow. And they probably aren't wrong about that. Yeah. Know? I just hate to see, like I said, uh, the asset of, let's say, a house just vanish into the system mm-hmm. because you weren't prepared. That right. kind of well, everyone thinks I'm going to pass this house on down to my kids or grandkids, and they really have that thought. And it's a nice thought to think that oh, you know, I worked hard for this, and now I can give it to my family. But the reality is, if you didn't, if you don't have some way to take care of the long term care question, then probably the house is not going to go to your family. And even if you go into a facility and you transfer the title to the kid at that time, there's a five year look back period. So the government got to still it. come back and take it yet. Yeah. Got to do it at least five years ahead of that. And ahead that's of, hard ahead to, of the death. That's yeah. hard to predict. Right. I was saying there were multiple ways because you could put it in a trust. You could, uh, what's it called? Home, uh, it's like living estate or something like that. There's, home estate. Yeah. There's a way to transfer ownership to the child and yet the child would never be legally able to kick the parent out. Right. They can't sell it. They can't kick you out. Right. But you can go ahead and transfer that. But the child, yeah, then legally has the title and owns the, the property. Yeah. As soon as you pass, it does not go to probate. It's that child's house. But until you pass, they cannot sell it. Right. So it's good to do that while you're still in good health before the five-year situation. So you need to do that, you know, early on. Obviously, you need to have a good relationship with the family, children that you trust, everything else. Even though they can't legally kick you out, just you still wouldn't want to do that with someone irresponsible. But it is something that would make sense to do. And that also helps you with long-term care because as long as it's five years prior to you needing the long-term care, state can't come back and get it. Yeah, the state can't come back and get it. It's really the thing to do. Yeah, you do need to do that. I tell people when they're thinking about long-term care and they think, well, I don't know if I want to pay anywhere from 150 to you know $400 a month more, depending on the amount of coverage and all, uh, for a policy. Really what they're buying is the freedom to make a choice, a freedom to decide all the options are on the table, and I can decide which one I like the most later in life. If you haven't prepared for it, instead of having lots of options, you're just going to have one or two. And you're going to get your hand forced. They're not going to be good options. Yeah, <laughs> You're going to get your hand forced by the government. Yeah. I'm sure they'll do right by you. They'll do the best thing that you could possibly have happen to you. Right. I get that it's not like pleasant and sexy to think about, but you do need to actually consider it. And I went recently to um, Rolling Green in Greenville. It's like a it's like the highest end retirement community in Greenville. It's, it's actually really nice. And they have three different levels of like you could just retire there and live there and you're self-sustaining, but they have like food and games and entertainment and all kind of stuff for you and then there's like a level two where you do need some daily assistance but you're still kind of living on your own and then there's a third level where you're around the clock like nursing care but the cost goes from like six thousand a month to eight thousand a month to ten thousand a month depending on which situation you're in yep even 6k a month that's your entry level yes yeah cha-ching yeah no it is right and you think about that and you're like wow I'm at $72,000 a year of cost that's need. They actually don't let people into that unless they've got like $500,000 or more of assets. They they have to pre-qualify you for that one. Okay. Some way to maintain, basically. Yeah. They, they will do that on the front end. But on the other hand, that, that particular community also says that if you do run out of assets, they'll never make you move out or leave. Like... 
It's a good thing. So, yeah, if you qualify, you qualify. That's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, you're qualified forever. So, you know, there it's a it's it's a lot of cost, but it's also you're protected and they'll hold up their end of the bargain. It's the nicest place you can be uh, in this area. Sweet. So, yeah, you learn stuff as you go. And we're back. So a few other things to think about and how to get at the long-term care question since we got on that. When should you start to look at long-term care? That is a great question. Age-wise. I think age 55 is when it needs to start at least getting on your radar because really you're going to want to buy it between 55 and 60 ideally because the underwriting often denies people. They're not going to deny people that young usually. Yeah, got to get in when you're healthy so that you can get in at all. Right. There's statistics on this that I don't have them with me. But and get it, better rates. Is that like life insurance where you can have a fully funded policy where you don't have to keep paying monthly because you've already paid all the premiums you'll ever have to pay? Absolutely. There are products out there that you can pay up at one payment, you can pay over 10 years and then you got it fully funded and the benefits there if you need it. And those kind of policies, if you don't need it, then there's going to be some kind of refund or life insurance payout upon your death. So somebody's going to get some money from that some way or other. Yeah. A lot of times, let's say you don't need it, you die in a car accident. Yeah. Heart attack, whatever. Being that it's funded, the money still goes back to a relative. Yeah. I think those are good ways to approach it. The only downside to those kind of policies is they don't have the state provision that says, hey, if you burn through this X amount of money, uh, the state okay. will pick up the, the tab. But those are popular. So you can also, if you're, if you're looking at a life insurance policy, and by the way, life insurance is a great way to pass down inheritance because it is tax-free. And so you pay a little bit of money for a lot of money to go down. If you have an estate that you know is going to get hammered by estate taxes, like you've got a $20 million estate or something like that. I was about that. to say, we've been talking about kind of people with average means. What if you do have $20 million? Right. Then absolutely you should have life insurance to help pay the tax bill that's going to arrive for the kids. That way they'll still be able to inherit the full amount that you want them to inherit. And one other thing you can do, by the way, if you're very wealthy and you're looking to shed some of that money and get it down, college savings accounts. So start a company and money launder it (laughs) and let your kids reap the benefits. A shell company. I'm kidding. Yeah, of course. That's uh... (laughs) That's a government trick with the Ukraine. (laughs) Well, no, no. I was kidding about that as well. (laughs) I am not suicidal. I just want to point that out. Okay, so college 529 plans. You can, they have lifetime averages, not averages. They have lifetime maximums of like $426,000 that you can put into a college savings account. So if you're a really wealthy grandparent, then perhaps, and you are going to want to pass on millions of dollars to your kids. Then there may be a lot of financial products that you want to max out. Well, the reason you want to do that is because rather than paying the very high percent estate tax, you pass that to the kids. Now, let's say that they use some of it for school, but they've still got a quarter million dollars left after their school costs are all paid for. They're still going to get that quarter million dollars at their tax rate, which is going to be less than the inheritance tax rate. So you have just moved money down line without losing as much of it to inheritance tax. Y'all should talk with a financial How about fiduciary at some point. They, how, they'll know things. 
How about the old trick of paying your house off early, but instead of extra on your instead of putting extra on your payment, you're funding a life insurance. That way, if you wind up needing it, you can still get access to it, but the interest it's gaining may outpace your mortgage rate, yeah. we would hope. Here's a really cool tip that you probably haven't heard before. Okay. Wake back up and listen. Yeah. If you haven't been listening and you're like a person in your 30s, listen to this tip. Okay, you buy a house. You get a 30-year loan. You want to pay it off in 20 years. You don't want to pay full 30 years. The traditional way of thinking is, hey, I want to put 100, 200, 300 extra dollars a month onto my house payment and therefore pay it off faster. Sounds good. You will save some money by doing that. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's not bad. The better thing to do is to get a life insurance policy. That is a universal life policy. It's variable, it's flexible. What you're going to want to do, that one, two, three hundred dollars a month that you're going to put on the house payment, put that inside the life policy. So you get the life policy, you're still in your 30s. The cost of the insurance is relatively low, 30 bucks a month or 40 bucks a month, maybe. Then you're putting a lot of extra money on top of it. So now, hey, I'm paying $250 a month on this life policy. All that extra money is going into an investment account. The investment account grows tax deferred. So however it credits interest, and there's a lot of different ways it can do it, you're not getting taxed on that growth as you go. So here's the plan. Well, to be clear, you're saying that you could get something with the minimum monthly payment for the life insurance is $40, but there are things out there that you can overfund at a variable rate. One month you have 50 extra, one month you have 100. Is that right? You could do that. You could if it's the right setup. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. What I like to do is say, let's say you want to pay your house off in 15 years. Well, go ahead and look at the amortization schedule and see what the payoff number is in 15 years. So now we've got a target. What we want to do then is then we take the life insurance policy and we say, okay, we have to assume a certain rate of return. We don't know it exactly, but you know. Get as close as you can. Get get an educated guess given the type of policy. Maybe it's five and a quarter, maybe it's seven and a quarter. just depends, you know, some, some number in there. And then say, okay, if we think we can make X return, how much do I need to fund this policy by so that in 15 years I hit that payoff number? And then that's really what you're going to want to try to put into the policy. Let's say you do that. Here's the advantages. One, you've got life insurance. So if an untimely end comes to you, somebody, instead of inheriting a house payment, gets to actually inherit a house because now there's money to fully pay it off. Two, mortgage interest is a tax write-off every year. You make your house payments, especially in the early years, you're getting a whole bunch of it is going to interest and very little is going to principal. But one of the good things about that is you get to write that off on your taxes. So really, the whole time you're making payments, you would like for that write-off to be as big as it possibly can be. So you don't really want to pay ahead. By putting the extra money in the life policy, you're not paying your house down any faster and you're getting the maximum write-off you can get every year. Third, you now hope that you can grow faster than the loan rate. Now, that's getting harder to do because the interest rates are getting higher, but especially, let's say you bought a house just a couple of years ago and you locked in at 3% or something, you can almost assuredly beat that in your, in your growth of your life policy. Then, really what you want to do, let's say year 15 arrives. Is this number four coming up? Yeah. Fourth. Fourth thing. Year 15's here. You could take all the money out, end of the policy, pay the house off, 
you would have to pay taxes on the gain at that point. So you could do it that way. But I think the better thing to do is start to just then quit paying into the policy and, sh- and shift around and start to withdraw a monthly draw out of the policy to make your house payment. You've got enough money in there to pay the whole thing. You're effectively finished paying for your house. But if some other emergency comes up, you have that big mm-hmm. policy, what's left of it. Yes. At any point in the process, if an emergency happens, you've got the liquidity to grab the money. Whereas if you've been giving that money to the mortgage company, you have to sell the house to get the money. (laughs) Yeah, you've got a great advantage there. And hopefully what you can do is let that policy slowly pay out. The withdrawals only come off your principal, so you don't owe taxes until you get into the gain. Once you get into the gain, if you take those withdrawals as loans instead of withdrawals, they're still not taxed. And most life policies will let you loan money to yourself at just 2 or 3% interest, very low. So you take the other withdrawals as loans. Then you get the house paid for. At the end of that, what you're probably going to want to do is reduce your death benefit. So maybe you had a $200,000, $250,000 death benefit. You lower that down to about $100,000 and let the remaining cash that whatever little bit is left in there keep paying for your own life policy indefinitely. And then when you die, there's still a payout that goes to your beneficiaries. That was kind of my question, which you did answer, but okay, once it all boils down, you've everything worked as you had <laughs> hoped, the house is paid off, that policy, what's left of it? It's kind of in shambles because you used it to pay your house off, but you're saying if you reduce the, the death benefit, benefit or reduce the value of that policy, it still may pay for itself or right. reduce it to whatever amount that would still be considered fully funded, even yes. if it's 50000 Right. So, yeah, a universal life policy, the thing about them is they're open-ended. So a term has, a, has an end date to it. A is 20-year term and the 20th year it ends. Universal doesn't have an end date, but the cost of the insurance is a little bit higher every year older you get. So it does get more expensive to hold on to the policy. Probably what you're going to want to do then once the house is paid for and you're older is instead of having as big of a death benefit, you just lower it. So then the cost of that much insurance is is half the price of your original policy and therefore it can just maintain itself. Dave Ramsey always preaches term life insurance and that's part of his thing that he does and he just strictly sticks to it because maybe his listeners aren't savvy enough yeah maybe they're not as savvy as listeners on the rob and todd show that's right they're obviously not they're not cultured like (laughs) y'all it's just too complicated not as it is more complicated but that's why you go talk to a financial professional you don't have to remember all the details of what we said today but i mean if something kind of piqued your interest then you know, go talk to a professional and let them help you with it. It varies, you know, fee structures and stuff. But a lot of times you can go talk to financial people. It won't cost you anything because the way they get compensated is when you buy a policy from somebody, the company that you bought it from ends up compensating the agent on your behalf. So you don't actually pay them a separate fee. Yeah. Well, also, if you get into that financial advisor or whoever it is that maybe picks the wrong product for you, the company still underwriting, part of that underwriting is suitability. 
that policy has to go through suitability before it will issue. Yeah. So you, you could still get in something that's not perfect, but at least there's some checks and balances. There should be. And so it, it does depend on the firms, but companies that have been around a long time and are generally more conservative are going to have a lot of checks, which is a little bit frustrating for the agent sometimes, but at, ultimately it's to protect the customer. You want to get in something that's suitable to well, your financial situation, outlook, and plan. And protect the company from a lawsuit as well. But, it, you know, there's okay. a lot of protection in there. <laughs> yeah. Use protection, people. That's right.